All right, I am uh, I'm really encouraged by what the Lord's doing through Foundry right now, and I want to encourage you, if there is even a 10% chance that God may be calling you, and you think he might be leading you to be involved in this Vicksburg church plant, I want you to show up on April 2nd. Uh, we want you to go. Like, we want you to leave. Let me put it that way. We want you to leave if God's calling you. Um, and there's often we can get comfortable where we are, and even though we're a young church and we were planted five years ago through the Lord leading people from another church here, um, it's easy to get comfortable where we're at. And I want to encourage you if the Lord might be leading you somewhere else to go and, and to come to that interest meeting and at least explore what that would look like to go. All right, we're in this series called Justified Sins. This is week two. And I want to start off by telling you a story um, from my life about a friend of mine named Hudson. Hudson pops up in my sermons from time to time. You ever have a friend like that? Like you haven't seen them or talked to them for years and they just still haunt you? It's like you just can't get away from them, right? This is, this is Hudson in my life. He was two years behind me in college. I was his RA. He was my Dementor during that time. And, and uh, at one point, uh, Hudson messed with my wallet. He, he took my ID out of it, and I was about to go on a trip and put it in a different, different pocket in my wallet so it would be harder for me to find it. Anyway, so, so it, I, it, I ended up making it through airport security fine, but I was just really frustrated by this because of Hudson. And then literally the next week, the Lord blessed me, just like the Lord showers his blessings on me. Somebody found Hudson's wallet that he had lost and brought it as a sacrifice to me. And it was just beautiful. I, I blessed them. I said, bless you, son. And I took it from them. And, and I was like, I'm going to get Hudson back. Like, I've got his wallet now. And I put it in my desk drawer. And then I forgot about it. And even though Hudson was like searching for his IDs and he was actually a citizen of another country, and had to do some stuff with uh, enrolling in the draft for that country. And so I had to actually travel about three hours to go get a new ID and get new papers. And some, I knew all this was happening because he was in my discipleship group and kind of working through all this stuff. And we're close friends. And I just didn't really make the connection. I had his wallet. And that's what he had to go do all this for. And I found it when I was cleaning out my desk at the end of the semester graduating. And I thought, oh, no. Now, I had two options there. I could just, you know, dispose of it or fess up. And I fessed up. I was honest about it. And it just kind of showed me how dangerous it is to be a little spiteful. And it was just a little spiteful. It was just like, I'm going to hold on to this wallet for a couple days, kind of spiteful. And it ended up having all these ramifications. In fact, two years later, when Hudson graduated, I was at his graduation and saw his mom. And she said, oh, you're the one who stole his wallet. You owe him now. And so literally, she, she forced me to. She like, twisted my arm, forced me to help him get a job that I had before and I was leaving. And so I got him that job. And now his, he got hired recently and the pastor called me before they hired him. He's a youth pastor now. Lord help those people. And, and he, they, the pastor called me and said like, hey, should we hire him? And of course, I still had to work off this guilt, this debt I owed him. So I said, hire him, like totally safe. Won't mess with your wallet or anything. He thought that was a weird comment, but they hired him and I'm still paying off that debt. And what I've realized is like wanting to get vengeance, wanting to get revenge takes you places you never thought you'd go like having to years later still be paying off a debt to a guy you knew in college. The truth is for our lives, when we, something happens to us, it's easy for us to want to hit back. I found it's a lot easier for me to forgive the big stuff than the small stuff sometimes. It's a lot easier for me to forgive the ways that people have really wronged me, tried to attack me and pull me down, try to get me to lose something or get fired. It's a lot easier for me to forgive those things than the guy in the Camaro cut me off on the way to church this morning, you know? Like that guy. I just envisioned myself doing the pit maneuver. You know, the cops do. You hit the back and they spin out of control. Like, I think I could pull that off in my little Toyota Corolla. I'm pretty sure I could do this. 
Uh, when, you know, that, that comment somebody made to you 16 years ago in passing and they didn't even think anything about it, but you're still thinking about it 16 years later and you still can't get over it. Like sometimes those are the things that are hardest to forgive, but sometimes it's, it's the big stuff. It's, it's the coworker who's been constantly undermining you for the last 10 years. It's the spouse or the boyfriend or girlfriend who cheated on you and wrecked your life. It's the family member who ver- verbally or physically abused you growing up. And these things are a lot harder to get over. And, and you've got your own version of this. Maybe it's not one of those, but get your own, your own version of the big things that have been done to you and then the smaller things that are constantly you're facing. And it's just really hard to forgive sometimes. And I think this, the sin that we justify the most in our own lives is the sin of unforgiveness. Like it's, it's really easy to try to justify that sin because it seems like what's been done to us is so much worse than us holding on to a little unforgiveness that we think it surely it can't be that bad. But as we're gonna see in God's word today, there's, there's no excuses that we can make for the sin of unforgiveness in your life. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter six. We're gonna be in the Lord's prayer today, Matthew chapter six and verse nine. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. This is coming in the middle of a much longer teaching. Jesus is showing us how to live in his kingdom. What does it look like to live a kingdom life, to live a life that lines up with God as king, living in his kingdom, So Matthew chapter six, verse nine, Jesus says this to his followers and to us today. He says, this then is how you should pray. And then he says these words that so many of us have said, and I'm gonna read from the NIV. It's a little bit different than the version a lot of us have memorized. It has fewer thys and thines and thous in it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus finishes the prayer, but he goes on to teach. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. I think this is one of the hardest teachings in the Bible. It's hardest because it comes into conflict with our lives so frequently. It's hard because there are no exceptions or loopholes. Out of everything Jesus said when he taught us to pray, this is what he circles back around to. The, The prayer we pray is this, Lord, forgive us our debts, forgive us what we owe, just as, like in the same way, as we have forgiven our debtors, the people who owe us. Now, back in this time, the Jewish people had a couple ways of understanding sin, a couple metaphors. One of the metaphors was sin is a burden you had to carry, and so you got the release from sin. It was a burden being taken off. The other way sin was understood, the metaphor it was understood as, is sin is a debt. You've incurred a debt, and you have to pay off that debt or be released from that debt. So the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is, Lord, forgive me, release my debt in the same way that I am releasing the debts of what other people have done against me. Now, the flip side, what you're praying, you may not have realized you're ever praying, is you're saying, Lord, don't forgive me every time I don't forgive someone else. You're saying, Lord, hold on to my debt against you every single time I hold on to the debt someone else has against me. This is a bold prayer and it's a dangerous prayer and we probably don't realize it because when we're praying the Lord's Prayer, we kind of slip into prayer mode, you know? 
It's the same thing. It's the same part of your brain. This is probably scientific. I don't know. Probably scientific. Same part of your brain that says Father God a lot when you're praying, you know, or throws in like Jesus every other word. Uh, instead of saying, oh, you just say Jesus. You know, that, that's, what, that's what's going on up here. And we just slip into this mode of praying like our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we stop realizing we're saying, Jesus, only forgive me as much as I'm willing to forgive others. And so every, every time we hold on to unforgiveness, we're holding on to not just unforgiveness of what others have done against us, but unforgiveness from God towards us. We're actually impeding what God can bless us with and for the forgiveness he wants to give us. And Jesus like was really clear when he taught in the prayer, but you can tell he realized that he knows how slimy and sleazy we are as humans. And he circles back around in verse 14 and clarifies again. He says, okay, just to be clear, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you don't, then he won't. If you don't forgive others, then your father won't forgive you. And he wants to make it clear there's no like, there's no loophole, there's no exception, but like, yeah, Lord, you don't know, you don't know my family member though. Like, they're different. This is a different category of what they did to me. Jesus, Jesus says, no, there's one blanket rule. Now, I wanna, I wanna explain this because I think sometimes we misunderstand what forgiveness is a little bit and then sometimes we don't understand why it matters so much. I'm a guy who asks why a lot. When I see Jesus say something, I've learned to trust it and receive it and accept it but, but I still want to understand why, because God's not arbitrarily throwing out rules for us. He's trying to help us understand how to live within his reality. So why? Okay, so, so here's what forgiveness is. The word in, in the Greek that's used here is aphiemi, and it literally means to release something. So it's even used of like throwing, not in the Bible, but in other places in the Greek, used of throwing a javelin, throwing a spear. It's like you're releasing it, you're throwing it. It can be used of debts to release debts. The idea is you are letting go of something. It's not this deep spiritual process necessarily. What Jesus is talking about here is you are releasing the sins that have been done against you. It doesn't mean you're saying there should be no consequences for those things. It's not saying that you are acting like those things don't matter. I think sometimes how forgiveness has been taught or at least received by people is, oh, I have to act like it doesn't matter that what someone did to me. That's not at all what forgiveness is. What it is, is letting go of the control you try to hold on to about the situation. It's letting go of trying to become the divine judge to bring punishment. You're releasing that. It's a letting go of control. And this is one of the hardest things for us as humans to let go of is control. We, we want to hold on to things. We want to justify things. We want to act as the ultimate judge over all things. And we're called to step back from that. Maybe there's a legal process that still needs to move forward. Maybe there are boundaries you still need to set. Forgiveness is not getting rid of boundaries or getting rid of consequences, but it's you releasing control of trying to get revenge or vengeance. Over and over again in the Bible, vengeance is mine, is what God says. God's gonna bring vengeance. God's going to bring the, the judgment that's coming. That's not for us to have. And so we've got, we've got to let go. So, so forgiveness is really just that. It's a letting go, but easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. Why is this letting go so important to being part of God's kingdom? There, there are two reasons. The first is that when we hold on to unforgiveness, we are denying God's kingdom. God's kingdom is rooted in reconciliation. It's rooted in mercy. You just read the Beatitudes, the first part of Matthew chapter five. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's all about seeking God's priorities, seeking who he is, what he wants. And when we hold on to unforgiveness, we are rejecting all of that. We're denying God's kingdom. 
So it's so much more than just like, yeah, but I, I get to hold on to a little bit of this, right? When we're holding on to a little bit of that, we're rejecting all that God is and wants for us. So, so unforgiveness actually denies God's kingdom. But here's the deeper issue with it. Unforgiveness denies God's kingship. Because what we try to do with unforgiveness is we try to put ourselves as the moral judge of the universe. And if we could, we would make ourselves like the one who brings the judgment. Often we're not able to bring the judgment, but we still in our hearts try to. When we hold on to unforgiveness, we try to take God's place. There's a biblical word for this. It's it's idolatry. So unforgiveness is actually a form of idolatry because we are trying to take the place of God in being the judge of other people. Now, again, this doesn't mean you can't go through a legal process or set boundaries. Forgiveness is about letting go of trying to control, letting go of what you think the outcome should be over that person, letting go of being morally justified and wanting divine judgment to come. We're letting go of all of that in forgiveness. And when you hold on to unforgiveness, what you're really doing is you are denying God's kingdom and you are denying God's kingship. This is why Jesus gives us no wiggle room here. He doesn't want us to fall into that. So Jesus is incredibly clear. You have to forgive. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven because you are removing yourself from God's kingdom in this area of your life. It's heavy. It's hard. Often, I've found this in my own life, and then as I've been a pastor in many other people's lives, that we, we often slip in to sinfulness in terms of unforgiveness without realizing. So I went to get my oil changed a couple weeks ago. Nice guy. Best experience ever getting my oil changed, by the way. I just want to give a little, little shout out to this guy. His name's Sam. I know he works Sunday afternoons. That's when I went and got it. So if you, got, you need to get your oil changed, the Valvoline by the Kroger on I-55 is where I went. It was a great experience. Isn't that weird to have a great experience getting your oil changed? Awesome guy. He was fun. Great connection. Of course, I pulled out a Foundry invite card partway through, slipped it to him. He was still nice after that, so it was great, but asked him to, to come visit. He's from Vicksburg. I was telling him all about the Vicksburg church plant. Great connection. And then he comes over to me, and we had a good thing going. We had one of those friend things going. And then he came over, and he's like, sir, would you like us to check your cabin air filter today? And I've just learned at these places, right, you never let them check anything, sell you anything, do anything, because they'll always jack up the price and try to rip you off. It's like, and I'm not some like 15-year-old girl driving for the first time. I know what's up. You can't get me. You know, I'm not, I'm not like someone who, anyway, I, I just, I'm not going to do that. And so I reject just like, right out, like, nope, Sam, we had something good going. No, I know we're not doing this. And he said, are you sure you want me to check? He said, a lot of people don't check their cabin air filter. And then I kind of stopped and I was like, wait, I have a cabin air filter? <laughs> Maybe I am a 15-year-old girl driving her car for the first time. I like, legitimately had never thought that I had like... I had never changed my cabin. I've changed my engine fil- like air filter. So go today and check your cabin air filter, okay? So, so he asked me, and I was like, well, you can check it, right? I just kind of opened up that little door, just that little door. And so can we throw up what, what here's what the filter should look like. Uh, there we go. That, that's a nice, new, clean um, air filter. This is when he was trying to sell me one. He's like, would you like this? Look how beautiful it is, right? Look at that. That's Sam's thumb up there. All right, so he's trying to sell this to me. And then he pulls out my old air filter. Now, now let me, now, so if you're confused about what a cabin air filter is, it is filtering the air that is coming into your lungs. It's like when your AC blows, anything's being cycled back in. It's being cycled back through this. Now go back to the other picture. Like the lighting hasn't changed here, okay? Go back to the other one now. 
Like, oh my goodness. So I've had this car for four years and this is at least four years old, but I'm almost certain that the people before me probably didn't change this either. I think this is retro vintage from 2007 probably when the car was made. Like that is filtering back. And so as soon as he changed it, my, my AC went from being like a nice little whisper blow to like a, a gale, like a hurricane, just, just blowing cold air all over me. It was beautiful. And, and it's all because of this. He's my new best friend, Sam the man. That's why I'm hyping him up today. So this, this is really, I think, a great example of what happens with unforgiveness. Like, there's a way our life is intended to go, and it's, it's to walk in God's grace and to extend God's grace, to be reconciled with others. But then across time, as unforgiveness comes in, it builds up. We don't even realize it. I had no idea how, how impeded that, like, the, the AC coming at me was. I didn't know how limited it was but it was so limited because of all the junk that had built up. And unforgiveness is the junk that builds up. And so we turn around and find ourselves in this place where we're, we're spiritually broken and we're spiritually messed up and our relationship with the Lord is incredibly limited and we're not receiving his grace because we are not extending grace to others and we don't even realize it because the unforgiveness is just built up. And so, so many of us, I really believe many Christians, I think many of us here, have unforgiveness that's built up for years or maybe even decades, and we haven't stopped to examine it because we thought, oh, I'm good with the Lord, I'm doing, doing what he wants me to do, but we've just conveniently ignored this part of our lives. So I'm gonna give you two diagnostic questions. I'm Sam today for you, okay? I'm your Sam. I'm not trying to sell, he, by the way, he did sell me. I, I, paid way, I paid twice as much as I should have for that thing, but I was so happy to do it because I was like, this is gonna be great. Like, I wanna, I wanna give you two questions that are gonna help you evaluate your, your own heart and life in this area. So I can't, I'm not going to try to dredge up something bad, but think about someone that might be hard for you to forgive or someone who did something to you that you think you have forgiven. I'm going to give you two questions about that person in that situation to see if you actually have forgiven them. Here's the first question. Do you desire to be reconciled with them? Like, do you want to come to the place where if they walked through the door, you both could be in a place where you could go up and give them a hug and be excited to see them? Do you desire to be reconciled with them? I think often we think unforgiveness is being happy to have them out of our lives and we'll do our best to forget about them. And sometimes just with the reality of what's been done, the kind of sin it is, the boundaries that need to be set, the consequences that have to come, that has to happen. I understand that. But at the heart level, we should still desire reconciliation because that's what God's kingdom is built on. God desires reconciliation with all people. And those of us who repent and trust in him, we get reconciliation with him, even though we have done far more wrong to the Lord than anyone has ever done to us. Do you truly desire reconciliation with that person? It may never happen, we recognize that, but do you, do you desire that? And I, th I think for many of us, this is the sticking point. We just can't, we just can't get past this. Here, here's the second diagnostic question for your life. Do you want God's best for them? even if you never see them again, do you want God's best for them? Or do you just want God's vengeance for them? God said, vengeance is mine. If, if they deserve vengeance at the judgment, God will bring it. But if they have repented and trusted in Jesus and let his spirit transform them, then they are just as much God's son or daughter as you and I are. Do you want God's best for them? 
Or are you kind of just hoping that God like smites them? That's a good biblical word. Smite them, Lord. Strike them down. Or do you desire God's best for them? These two questions begin to peel back the layers of unforgiveness in our hearts and show us maybe there's more to deal with. And for each of us, we really need to to dig into our lives. And for most of us, there's specific people and points of our lives. We need to ask the question, have we truly forgiven? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells this story about a man who, who didn't forgive a debt that was owed against him, even though he had already been forgiven a big debt. And Jesus then talks about how he's punished because he didn't forgive the debt that was owed against him. And Jesus said the same thing is gonna happen to everyone who doesn't forgive from the heart. Jesus is calling us to forgive from the heart, not a superficial external forgiveness, but forgive from the core of who we are. And these two questions get at it. Do you truly desire God's best for them? And do you desire reconciliation with them? Forgiven people, forgive people. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. When you have been forgiven, you will forgive. If there's a part of you that, is, that you're just refusing to forgive, then you are blocking the forgiveness of God coming into your life. Now, from a practical standpoint, and I always want to take this practical because I, I, I sometimes just personally struggle if things stay too emotional, spiritual. It's like, okay, well, I'm like sifting through this emotion. Like, okay, I'm not sure if I forgive them. How do I come to the place of forgiveness? Because I've tried. I've tried to let go. I've tried to release. I've tried to, I'm not like, I'm actively not trying to harm them anymore. I'm not trying to do the pit maneuver on that Camaro. Like, I'm not trying to do anything to them anymore. But I'm, tru- I'm having trouble releasing from the heart. And Jesus gives us, it's the best, it's, the, it's really the only effective insight I've ever seen on this. That's all the stuff you should do, which is, you know, like, like don't, don't have pictures of them you throw darts up against in your house. And like, don't actively feed the unforgiveness. But Jesus shows us in Matthew chapter five, so it's probably the same page in your Bible as what we just read. It's in the same sermon Jesus is giving to his followers. Matthew chapter five, verse 43, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, which is exactly what forgiveness is. Someone has wronged you, they have made themselves into an enemy for you. And maybe not at a big level, but they've, they've made themselves in opposition to you. They have harmed you. Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. So love your enemies. And this is the real key, pray for those who persecute you. The single best way I have found, and it's coming directly from Jesus, that we can forgive other people from the heart is by praying for that person every day and pray for God's best over their lives. If you pray consistently for someone, you start to find in your heart that you start to love them. It's something about it. As you are seeking God's best for them, then God begins to change your heart towards them. The first few days you do this might be incredibly challenging because you're like, I, I don't want to. I don't. But, but what you're doing is you are bringing your heart and your emotions into alignment with your will and with God's will. And the truth is your will is more truly who you are than your emotions are. So you're bringing your emotions in line with your will and with God's will through praying for the person who has wronged you. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I went through something a year or so ago. Someone here at the church actually um, we never have stuff like this happen, but it happened. Um, just had, had a real issue with leadership here at the church. Um, nothing moral, but he had an issue with leadership and so tried to really undermine and attack the leadership here, several people in leadership. 
And, and that's, I don't know, I'm, I'm like, I don't have a family of my own, so I feel like in some ways, you guys are my family, come on. And I feel like when, when someone's like attacked, that's like the, the, the daddy bear came out, I said mama bear, I don't want any mama bear in me, but the, da- the daddy bear came out, and I like, I wanted to, I wanted to, I'm like a scorched earth kind of guy, right? So like, I'm pretty chill until, until it happens, and then I'm like, let's go, baby. Like, you want to you wanna get in the ring together? We can do this, come on. And, and so I wanted, I wanted to just, just fight, right? I wanted to like, because there was some stuff. I, I, I know how to throw some punches. I know I, so I was ready to come back, and, and I knew that's, that's not what I should do. So I had to begin to pray for this person, and not like, Lord, smite them prayers, but Lord, bless this person. Lord, heal this person. Lord, bring what this person is looking for. Lord, encourage this person. Lord, give this person community since they're walking out of a community. Lord, help this person to feel love, to understand you more deeply. Lord, help this person. And so I began to, to pray for this person. And then after a while, quit praying for this person, didn't, didn't sense any unforgiveness. But I saw them randomly in public. We, we didn't see each other, but I saw this person walking by. And that's a good evaluation of like where your heart is, right? Have you forgiven from the heart? And what I felt when I saw this person was love and concern. That wasn't generated from me. It was because the Lord had transformed my heart and given me love as I prayed for this person. He can do it for you if he can do it for me because goodness knows on my own, I'm a vengeful, spiteful little guy. The Lord can do it for you. Pray for the person. Forgiveness is letting go. It is choosing to live in God's kingdom under God's kingship and letting go of your control. We can evaluate that forgiveness in our lives, but whether we truly desire reconciliation, whether we truly desire God's best. We can come to that point by praying for that person, for the Lord to bless them. I've shared some of her story before, but Corrie ten Boom was a lady who lived back during World War II. She and her family hid Jewish people to protect them. They were eventually found out. So she and her father and her sister went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. While they were there, her dad and her sister died. She suffered immensely. And she was able to, when the war was over and she was freed, forgive all the people who did this to her. But she said years later, when she was 80 years old, this was decades after, she's, she's forgiven the Nazis. If you can forgive the Nazis, like, that's the bogeyman, right? If you can forgive Hitler, you can forgive anybody, right? Like, that's, but she found herself, she had something happen. It felt like she was stabbed in the back by people she knew and she loved. And she was struggling to let it go. She tried to forgive, but then she was laying awake at night and all she could think about was, Lord, how? If it was strangers, that would have been okay, but these were people I loved. How? And she could, she, she's tried to forgive. She's doing everything right, but it's still going around in her mind. So after several nights of this, she sat down with this Lutheran pastor. She's saying, how, how do I work past this? How do I deal with this? And they were in this big old church over in Europe and he pointed up, to the, where the church bell was. And he said, when, when the guy pulls the church bell to ring on a Sunday morning, it takes a lot of effort. And that bell starts swinging back and forth and swinging back and forth. And he can stop pulling on the bell, but it keeps swinging and dinging and donging for a while. And he said, forgiveness is like that in our lives sometimes. You're, you're doing everything right. You are forgiving. You are praying for that person, but it takes the bell a little time to slow down. And if you've been feeding unforgiveness for years, months, decades, 
even as you begin this process of praying, it, it might take it a little while to slow down. But as you trust God, as you seek forgiveness, God can do that in your life. Forgiven people, forgive people. And I want every single one of us at the deepest part of our being to get to experience God's forgiveness. But I think some of us might be holding on to unforgiveness. And you've justified it because what was done to you is so much worse than the, than the unforgiveness you're holding on to. And that may be exactly right. And it doesn't mean we can do anything other than forgive from our hearts. So if you're struggling with it right now, I just wanna encourage you. More than that, I wanna plead with you to let go of control, to trust Jesus. Jesus was so clear. If you don't forgive, you will not experience God's forgiveness. So please forgive. Trust Jesus at that place of your life. Forgiven people, forgive.